Hi, I'm Cameron, and I don't just read comics, I love them. On today's episode of Cameron Reads Comics, we are going into part two of our three-part read-through of the triumphant image comic series Saga by Brian K. Vaughn and Fiona Staples. Today, my friend Russell Gardner and I will be talking about Saga issues number 19 through 36. If you want to catch up on this episode, check out last week's Saga Book 1 discussion. As usual, we are going to be going deep into spoilers for this series. Also, if you want to know what's going on with me outside of this podcast, go follow Cameron Reads Comics on Instagram. Okay, so now we're going to go into our summary for Saga Book 2. Book 2 opens the same way as Book 1, with another childbirth. This time, it is the birth of Prince Robot IV and Princess Robot's baby boy. Prince Robot has been gone from the Robot Kingdom lost for a while, with people assuming he died. Outside of the princess's room is a janitor who goes by the name Dango. Since the showdown at D. Oswald Heist's home, Prince Robot IV has been damaged and living on the planet Sextillion. At this point, Marco and Alana have found solace on a separate planet. Alana becomes the breadwinner by joining The Open Circuit, a soap opera series that airs among the planets. Marco is a stay-at-home father offering Hazel the most normal childhood that he can provide for her. Marco meets a woman named Ginny who offers to teach Hazel some dance lessons. It becomes clear that Alana got her job in the open circuit through D. Oswald Heist's ex-wife Yuma. With the stress of keeping a low profile and broadcasting herself for the worlds to see, Alana turns to Yuma who provides drugs to everyone in the open circuit. To cope with everything going on, Alana starts taking Fade Away at work. Dango breaks into Princess Robot's chamber while she's feeding the new prince. Dango murdered the palace guards. In a long monologue, he reveals that he had a son as well. His son died after drinking the water in their village. He got profusive and continuing diarrhea, and doctors couldn't save him because they didn't have insurance. Dango murders the princess and kidnaps the prince. Ginny and Marco grow closer as Alana starts taking Fade Away more regularly. Marco and Alana cope with these stressful times through their sex life. In Hazel's narration, even two old friends deciding to get as close as humanly possible can still be worlds apart. Later, Prince Robot IV wakes up from his delirium on Sextillion. He kills the security guard Mama Sun when she reveals that his son was born 21 days earlier. Marco catches Alana taking Fade Away outside of their home. They get into a serious fight. Alana tells Marco that she knows about Jenny. Marco asks Alana if she's been high in front of Hazel, and Alana pivots, infuriating Marco enough to throw a bag of groceries at her. He instantly apologizes, but Alana demands that he leave. Dango breaks into the open circuit and wants to broadcast that he has the prince captive on television. Yuma says that if he spares her life, she'll reveal the location of Marco, Alana, and Hazel. After his fight with Alana, Marco shows up at Ginny's home. Alana storms home to be greeted by Isabel, who serves as a voice of reason. Ginny and Marco almost end up kissing until Marco sees Punk Conk, Hazel's doll, which she can't sleep without. Dango breaks into their home and takes Alana, Isabel, Hazel, and Clara. Their rocket ship takes off, and Marco, Yuma, and Prince Robot IV are left behind. In other adventures, we meet the Brand, 
the sister of the Will, who is looking for Sophie and Gwendolyn. They eventually meet up while Gwendolyn and Sophie are looking for a cure for the Will, who has been in a coma and incapacitated since, since Sophie stabbed him. Gwendolyn, Sophie, and the brand find out the main ingredient they need for the cure, dragon semen. Dango takes the women with him, Alana, Isabel, Hazel, and Clara, to an abandoned planet to meet up with the Revolution, a terrorist group that's against the war and uses lethal methods to try and stop it. They slaughtered a daycare center and decapitated every civilian in a concert hall on Wreath. Yuma and Marco, meanwhile, grow closer. They talk about Alana's use of fadeaway. Marco struggles with the reconciling of why Alana was looking for peace in another place than him. Yuma offers Marco a dose of fadeaway to try and share that perspective with his wife. Unfortunately, Marco overdoses on a bad batch of the drug. The overdose leads Marco to a series of memories reflecting with his relationship with violence. A flashback shows that he doesn't want to have rough sex with Alana because he doesn't want to hurt her. As a boy, Marco struggled with anger. He beat up a little girl next door to him who was trying magic spells on his dog. And then, as a soldier, Marco fired on a civilian and cost that civilian his life. Prince Robot IV saves Marco and Yuma through a blood transfusion. After the bad trip on drugs, Marco has a new understanding about himself and Alana. Sophie and the brand grow closer. Their relationship similarly reflects the dysfunction between the brand and the will. They both long to cure the will, and Sophie plans to stay on his journey with him. With Alana whispering in his ear, Dango starts to regret joining the revolution. They reveal that they have partnered with the Landfall and Wreath prison systems in order to free former soldiers of the last revolution. To make the exchange, they are going to bring in Hazel and the young kidnapped Prince Robot. The ship containing Marco Goose, Prince Robot IV, and Yuma run into a Robot Kingdom ship. They originally planned to fight, but Yuma notices a problem in the engine room. She tells them that they need to run. Yuma walks into the engine room and sets herself on fire in order to create the last bit of fuel that they need to escape. After several bad run-ins... Gwendolyn, Sophie, and the Brand finally find the only male dragon on the planet. When the dragon falls asleep after pleasuring himself, Sophie brashly and dangerously sneaks into the cave to grab the semen. What she doesn't see is that the dragon wakes up. As the Brand sees Sophie in the dragon's crosshairs, she leaps forward and the dragon takes a huge bite, chomping, chomping off half of the brand effectively killing her. Dango revolts against the revolution and kills the other members. Meanwhile, Marco and Prince Robot IV's ship crashes into the planet Alana and Dango are on. Alana takes out several of the revolutionaries on her own and teams up with Dango to escape. Clara, Hazel, and Lexus, one of the last revolutionaries, take off on Dango's ship and escape the violence. The ship phases out while Alana and Dango are outside. Alana holds a gun to Dango, threatening to kill him, but before she pulls the trigger, Marco comes up over a hill to see his wife for the first time since their fight. Alana wants to kill Dango so badly, but Marco reminds her that's not who they are. Prince Robot IV comes up the same hill. When he sees Dango, he knows that's the man who kidnapped his son and murdered his wife. 
he suddenly and unapologetically murders Dango. The Will wakes up from his coma to see Sophie and Gwendolyn. He's initially glad to see them, but when he sees the brand's dog, Sweet Boy, he learns of his sister's death and he demands that they get away from him. Years later, Hazel, Clara, and Lexus find solace on a prison planet for enemy non-combatants. Hazel attends school there and based on her experiences is understandably different than the other kids. During their time there, they make new friends. Hazel grows close to her teacher at the school, Noreen. She also bumps into a transgender alien known as the Petrichor. Because of Hazel's naivete and her trust in her teacher, she reveals her wings to her. Something that she's literally kept under wraps underneath her clothes. Her teacher accepts her, but due to the shock, faints and knocks her head on the table on her way down, causing a massive head injury. Meanwhile, Marco and Alana have been searching the galaxy for Hazel and Clara. Their partnership has drawn the two closer to one another. While they had vowed not to have sex until they found their daughter, they can't keep all of their promises. Prince Robert IV has created a safe haven with his son and goose on an island. A tabloid reporting couple, Upshur and Doff, were seeking information about Marco and Alana. The brand had set a spell in place to prevent them from spoiling the news. After the death of the brand, the spell gets lifted and Upshur and Doff decide to continue pursuing their story. They seek out Ginny and wander to Dango's ship. There they encounter the Will and Sweet Boy who recruit them against their will to work for him and lead him to Alana and Marco. The Petrichor helps Hazel resolve the situation with her teacher. Noreen heals up and promises to help Hazel break out of the prison camp. Prince Robert IV decides to help Marco and Alana rescue Hazel once they find out where she's being held. After they leave, the Will ends up on the planet and visions of the stalker enticing him to hurt the young prince who now goes by Squire. Goose defends him and cuts off the Will's fingers. What keeps the Will from harming young Squire is the vision of his sister, the Brand, holding him accountable. Marco successfully breaks into the prison planet and sees his daughter for the first time in years and pulls out Punk Conk. Their reunion is beautiful. As they make their escape, Clara decides to stay on the prison planet, but Petricor escapes in her place. As she meets Alana, she lets her know that she is pregnant. Hi, Russ. Hey, how's it going? I am so good. TGIS. Russell and I decided we were going to record instead of, instead of Friday nights, Sunday mornings. So yeah, I'm preferring nice. this, this change. Yeah, I agree. Got my Sunday morning coffee ready to go. <laughs> we fiddled with the audio for about half an hour. <laughs> as it should be. That's literally as... You know, low-budget podcasts begin their journeys. Um, Try to get my mic stand perfect for a solid 12 <laughs> to 15 minutes. So. Here we are now. And you know what? He sounds great, and he looks great, which you can't see on a podcast, but, you know, let me describe it to you. 
Yep, <laughs> it's, it's there. Thank you, Kev. It's great. <laughs> um, so, Russ, going back, we're going to start with the same question as we did last time. Saga, book two, what'd you think? Um, so this, this is as far as I've gotten on Saga. Wait, seriously? Yeah, I have, like, procrastinated book three forever. And so, I, because, like, yeah. I think the first time around there was no book three when I read it, like, yeah. the first time. And um, then, like, I read Why the Last Man and some other stuff. And so this is as far as I've gotten. And I, like, forgot a lot about this because I think I've probably reread book one a bunch of times and book two i think i've only went through once um but this for me is really where the series starts to like shine and the characters start to come out because you have like the context for what they've been like and then he i think he does like a really masterful job of like flash forwarding you a couple years at a time and so now it's like oh like hazel's older and can talk and it's adorable and uh so i i really loved it i loved all the yeah, the characters, and then now he starts to tweak with them, right? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I really think that while I love, um, while I love book one, I'm, I really think that this is really kind of where the series gets started, and I think that the the situations that are put upon Alana and Marco are really well done. I think that their love becomes way more authentic in this volume than the last one we read. Right. Yeah, it's almost like they had a kid when they were still in, like, the honeymoon phase of yeah. their relationship in a lot of ways. And now, like, to represent that they're out of the honeymoon phase, like, for a portion of time, their kid's just gone, Yeah, you know? And so it is nice. It, and I agree with you. It's kind of, like, symbolic of their relationship that now they're in, like, the turmoil, hardship section where things start to look a lot more realistic. Yeah, and Russell would know better than I would, being the scholar that he is, but, you know, story is driven by conflict, and I think this is where we get a majority of the conflict, you know? I think uh, the first volume was a lot of setup, and I applaud Brian K. Vaughn's setup, but now here we are in book two, and stuff actually really starts to happen. So, on that note, we were introduced to a bunch of new characters. Did you have a favorite new character? Um, you know, I think that there's a couple that stand out. I really like the brand. Mm-hmm. I like the whole, um, I like that she's being like now tied into the Will's storyline, yet you really haven't seen them interact with each other. Yeah. Like when they're both conscious, right? Like, yeah. Uh, and so, and you don't. I don't think you ever see that then now that I think about it. No, no, no. You get the last moment. We're, we're deep into spoilers. Um, yeah. Are you, hopefully you're doing a summary and spoil- d- yeah. Okay. Cause well, I'm yeah. just, I'm just going for it. Yeah. No, just go for it. The brand is dead. The, the, <laughs> well, we're going to talk about the deaths that I think happen in this series or like in this book, because, whoa, there were so many, like so many big character moments. That'll probably, that'll be my next question. But, um, go, going back into the brand, you had that was your favorite character. Why? Well, it, it was the brand and one that I liked that's being introduced. That it's like, all right, we'll see how this goes. Is Squire? I'm a big fan of like Prince Robot's kid growing up a little bit and like I don't know, being a person. Yeah, when Squire comes up in the last couple issues, like that's I think last three issues we kind of get a glimpse into Squire. Yeah, but I'm down for it. 
So I guess those were my two. But with the brand, I mean, I think one thing that I really liked as a whole, whereas I think for you in book one, you loved like the whole Will, Sophie, yeah. Gwendolyn thing. Um, I think that came out so much more for me in this book of seeing them like grown a little bit. Uh, and even like that kind of first scene, you see them in this book where they're like doing some like heist to get some information about some elixir to heal the will. And like, even like little things like you hear Sophie call lion cat LC and it's like, Oh, that's so cool. Like yeah. the little nickname in there and everything. Yeah. Um, so I, I think I just loved that story a lot in this book, uh, or that, that kind of group, you know? And mm -hmm. so, and the brand coming into that was really cool because you can totally see how she's related to her brother. They both somewhat like jaded and morbidly realistic yeah. uh, about things. Oh None God. of them are romantics. There's literally, know? there's like, I think it's issue 20 or 24. The, the, the issue opens with Sophie asking the brand, like they're sitting around a campfire. It's just like a very sweet moment. First panel is line cat. Second panel is them around the fire. Third panel is the is the brand saying, "Yeah, so that's what abortion is." Yeah, <laughs> it's like it's like the the ant that <laughs> you really don't picture ever having. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, that is such a it's such like a funny moment because it's like, oh, that's what that's what this little family's talking about right now. And it, you know, really, like when you think about this series, that is so, for lack of a better word, excuse my pun, that's so on brand. Like yeah. for Brian K. Vaughn, his writing style and really kind of what the series stands for. Right. Yeah. And so, but that, that's a good, that's a good illustration of that, of why she's like this weird parental figure also. And like, obviously has a lot of, um, desire to like protect and save her brother. Um, but she's like, and she's a little bit more endearing than the will, you know, yeah. she's not as like impulsive or whatever. And so for, I, I think I like that. It was like, you see this kind of tamer, maybe even more knowledgeable version of the will who is now in this quest with his former like posse to mm -hmm. now find something to save him. Yeah. And you really kind of see, well, obviously we were thinking about this book as a structure of family and with, with the brand, number one, we talked about it last week, but the illustration of the brand being Sophie to the Will's Billy and then him rescuing this girl and giving her the name Sophie. It's, it's a very interesting, you, you can see the family structure within that and you can see um, how family is represented through the brand. Um, and then you, you can see that kinship to Sophie that she has uh, when she kind of discovers who this little girl is. And I love that. And within this volume, I don't think that they are my favorite structure because they were last volume, but they undergo a lot of changes. And so yeah, it's not, you know, the world's not really in this book at all, but, um, and not until the end, but he, the world's not in it at all. And you have, uh, them doing other things. Well, freaking half the book, they're looking for dragon semen, <laughs> which is so good. I love I love how the dragons are like not what you think of in medieval times. They're like yeah. these weird salamander, huge salamanders. Yeah, uh, and, and I love that. I love how many, how that gives 
like Brian an excuse to kind of give like the funny humor with like Sophie. Like, I don't think that's a boy dragon. Like, yeah. those aren't boy parts with yeah. the yeah uh, yeah. And then you know, of course, when they find the one boy dragon, he's in this cave sucking his own penis. Yeah. So if you didn't already know from the first eighteen issues and now where where we're at in the conversation. This book is for adults, and so if your children are listening, um, Radio Disney is AM eleven ten. So you may want to go check that out. Wow, I remember that because I listened to a lot of Radio Disney. <laughs> be be proud of that. Oh my gosh! I'm like I tried to enter. A, here's a fun fact about Cameron, really quick. I tried to enter a contest to go on a shopping spree with Allie and AJ, who are the biggest pop stars at the time at ages 10 through 11 and i didn't win so i just want everyone to know that well that's like quite a bad fact really you didn't even win it's not fun i <laughs> think about it so my heart hurts i think that's your tragedy of the day dang i have I a daily tragedy for everyone who's wondering and damn that one and today that's is the tragedy of remembering years. that you didn't win that contest ali and aj if you're listening to this i'm still down to go for a shopping spree <laughs> This episode's also sponsored by The Gap, by the way, so that's where we'll do it. (laughs) Um, Actually, going into my favorite character, and Russ and I were kind of riffing on this, but we had to stop. My favorite new character is Dango. He he was a janitor for Prince Robot the Fourth's Kingdom, and he he comes up in issue 18. He just pops right up. And he's a janitor, and I think it's really cool, number one, how they illustrate this character, too, and his status within the robot kingdom by their the TVs on their heads. You know, Prince Robot the Fourth has, like, it's almost like an iMac retro one where it's kind of rounded at the back and it has two antennas. Dango's is like a crusty old VHS that your teacher would roll in to class on, like, a rainy day or a snow day or something, and... That's what his TV is like. And his is only in black and white, which I found to be a really interesting detail that stuck out this time I read it. And so... Right, yeah. You learned for the first time that only the Royals TVs are in color, which is fascinating. And, you know, that's something that we, you know, we've only necessarily really had exposure to the Royals because when their images flash, it's just like, wow. But to see a lower, you know, it's it, their status is dictated by the TV on their head, which I... I feel like we could explore that, but I think that is so fascinating by itself. Um, I also am so in love with Dango. Like, there's so many beats that he does. Number one, I think his arc in the story is really well done. And a character who really didn't deserve any sort of forgiveness or retribution, I think he does kind of redeem himself towards the end, which is not something we saw coming. Um, Number two, I think his motivations for everything that he's that he was doing are superior to everyone else's motivations you know like the whole arc of him having his son and saying like when he kills when he kills prince robot the fourth's wife the the mother of his child he's like do you remember what the last words to my son were shoots her in the head and he says i forget i hit my mic because i forgot and i was passionate but I just think stuff like that's like, whoa, it's so good. And I think, you know, I was talking last week about how Prince Robot the Fourth is the most sinister. No, I think Dango is terrifying. And then he just murks all these people and he has this kid with him. He has 
the royal prince, the newest heir to the throne of the robot kingdom. And it's like, whoa, you are a real threat and you're scary. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely agree with the... I think he's, to me, one of the more insidious characters that we've met. Like, he... His actions... Like, though his motivation... I'm not even sure how I feel about his motivation. Um, but his actions are definitely of the, like, on-screen actions are, like, probably the darkest right like he's oh, yeah. just like offing people he he's offing people and like you know i don't want to say they deserve it because these are all fictitious characters anyways but like the people he's going for he is just like really scary about killing him mm-hmm. yeah and i mean even because for me i think like the one moment where i was just like oh was when he actually kills princess robot like towards the beginning it's like wow this guy is not afraid just to kill this defenseless woman and kidnap her child like that really just sets the tone of this guy and it's weird because he at one point has like a moment where he's like oh i would never like harm a child or anything but then you're like yeah but you will harm next to everyone else like yeah you're scary he's so he's so interesting because like if you look at the way he treats adults who have had a side in the war he's very um repulsed by them um and he and you know he just blasts those people like left and right but there's multiple times when he has the child or he says like when hazel's about to get abducted he says hazel look at me when he's about to like so, one of the last revolutionaries is is like has her as a hostage, and he just says, "Hazel, look at me," and he puts like a really, like a kids' cartoon animal on his on his TV head, and he blasts someone, which is like you see that he is motivated by the death of his son. It, I, I think you know it gets a little blurred, and it gets obviously in the same way that anyone's journey like that would get blurred. But you see, he his motivating factor is always his son, and so he has tenderness towards children, which is another arc that I find so fascinating. It just makes him so appealing to me. And actually, let yeah, uh, you, it, it's yeah. but yet the the two children that are in the story that he can be tender towards, he has kidnapped both. <laughs> oh, I didn't think about that. I was like, Russell, who's your favorite character? And he said his. And then I said, mine's mine's Dango. And Russell said, I hate Dango. <laughs> yeah, I think I, because think about that. Think about how like twisted that is. You know, it's like, OK, it's like it makes it creepy for me when I'm reading it. Like uh, you're being sweet to this kid that you just forcibly took from her mother. And you're holding this other kid that has been just like kidnapped, like for the duration of your relationship. You know, but then, like, he does have the whole, like, when they're, like, uh, escaping from that the revolution and he, like, gives Prince Robot to Alana and then he's like, oh, if he stirs, just bounce him a few times or something. And it's like, he knows how to take care of the kid, but it's a kid. It's just so, like, it's so weird for me to read, you know, that, and I think um, because Dango to me seems very... Um, deranged in a lot of ways mm-hmm. like he thinks that certain actions will bring about certain results which they won't um, in terms of like getting his cause of 
you know, trying to end the war and whatever, start a revolution and stuff. Yeah. Um, and so for, like, he seems sort of borderline, like, crazy, insane to me, you know? Yeah. And so it's like, I, I can never really, like, settle in and trust him mm-hmm. ever because of the stuff he's already done and the stuff he's already said where it's like, even even at the end of his life before Prince Robot the Four and him, the Fourth and him like meet up, it's like he seems like he's maybe redeemed and has turned a corner. Yeah. But even in that moment, I'm like, I don't trust you at all. I think you know. Yeah. Um. So I don't know what your take is on that. But well, I think it number one reveals how trusting I am towards people <laughs> <You're> like, <laughs> and Russell yeah. Russell's reasonable suspicion. <laughs> I'm like, wow. I'm like, I love him. Like, Dango for president. No, just kidding. No, he's. He's terrible. I just thought he had a very, I don't know, kind of redemptive arc towards the end, which actually you kind of led me into my next question, which is we had a lot of big moments in this book between, you know, just the reuniting of Alana and Marco, the Brand's death, the Will waking up from his coma and telling off Sophie and Gwendolyn. Um, What did you – and I think, you know, then we get into Dango's whole entire, you know, beginning and end in this narrative and then eventually – Marco and Alana's uh, reuniting with Hazel. What do you think stuck out about those? Or did you have a favorite moment? Hmm. Yeah, I think um, I love the moments that revolve around significant times in the Alana, Marco, Hazel family. You know, because I feel like those are almost like markers for where the story is like, oh, and now we're at the part where Marco and Alana are separate because mm-hmm. of circumstances in the rocket ship takes off and all that stuff. Um, and it's like, okay, we're in a certain phase of this story and you can really see like how that takes a toll on each of the characters. And now you have like Marco making some weird deal with Prince Robot the fourth because they have a common interest in finding the rocket ship now. Yeah. Um, and so it's kind of cool because it sets up that. And then also, I mean, right, you're right at the end when you get it, but it's like now we have the family united again. You know, and it's like, wow. And it looks different um, because grandma's not here and we have a new passenger on board. Um, But I love those moments that like revolve around significant moments of the family, whether or not they're all together, one member separate, whatever it is. Those really just like stood out to me because um, I I think my favorite one was, uh, what's the stuffed animal, Ponk Ponk? Like Ponk Tonk or whatever. Yeah, and he's just been like holding, having this animal the whole time, the like doll or whatever. Mm-hmm. And finally, like getting to see Hazel and like give it to her. And just that moment was really precious. And like he's not even sure if she recognizes him as her father anymore because yeah. it's been so long. And she like, she's like, daddy. And, and it's, you know, it's and just, she's like, daddy, 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 daddy. I'm like, yeah, oh, it's wow. just like a really beautiful moment. But that he, I think. Brian K. Vaughn does such a good job of like making you wait for that moment because that moment has been such a long time coming when you're reading that when it does come, the payoff is like really nice. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, those those family moments were. Was that your favorite moment? You think? Because um... mine was definitely Marco and Hazel's reuniting because if you think about it, Alana had been with Hazel, you know, I'd, I'd argue, frankly, this entire volume, Marco isn't with Hazel. Right. He, you know, he, when she gets 
What? The, the stay-at-home dad portion. The, yeah, he's stay-at-home dad while Alana's in the open circuit. But pretty much, you know, let's say three issues, he's with her. And then the next 15, he's not. Right. And mm-hmm. so... Number one final like that that is, you know, a big chunk of Hazel's childhood and I think her early memories. Like when Hazel is describing her relationship with her father, she says, I remember what my dad smells like. But that's it. I'm in my mic again because smell is really important. But um anyways, that was that was, that's that was my favorite moment clearly in this volume because it's just like it was so earned and I think a character as tender as Marco makes that kind of moment more, I don't know, as, as a male too, identifying with the male protagonist. Um, I just think it makes it that, that much more, uh, special. Yeah. Yeah. I think that probably was my favorite moment. I do have like a favorite line or favorite like yeah. panel, uh, which would, but it still, it still revolves around Marco. It's when, uh, Marco and Yuma are like OD'd yeah. and, uh, Ro- Prince Robo the fourth's like, Oh, let's just like forget them. Like they're all drugged out. They're supposed to be helpful. And then, are we are we saying goose? I'm saying I think goose. It's goose right? Yeah, um, goose is like we need to revive them if we're gonna win this fight coming up. And he goes, "Why?" Like, no, we don't. And then goose says, "Because I'm not scared of you at all." But that guy like scares the crap out of me. Pointing to Marco. Yeah. Like, and just that contrast because you. I think that's just such like great writing. You know, mm-hmm. because Prince Robert the Fourth is a pretty scary guy. He's not afraid to like just oh, take yeah. matters into his own hands. But then for this character that's like interacting with both of them to care, and I think that adds to sort of the weird like mystery of Marco and his impulsiveness too. Um, is like this one character is like, yeah, I don't want to mess with Marco at all. Like you're kind of ruthless. I don't care though. Um, and, and I think that's that's really nice because even in and then you get to the moment where he's reunited with his daughter and it's like, you still have this whole context of Marco that he's not like this pure character now or something. Mm-hmm. He's still impulsive subject to rage and all this stuff. And it's like, you're concerned for him a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Mark, I, I, I just thought Marco, uh, within this, this series, I think we get a lot more context into the pacifism of Marco because you see, you know, number one, we get more t- we get more context into the war and why it started and how it has panned out to the point where you know landfall or the landfall coalition really isn't even fighting in the war anymore. They have outsourced it to other planets, you know. Mm-hmm. And so um, that's kind of where the robot kingdom comes into play because they're part of the landfall coalition. But um, you you see that, but then you see what Marco is like as a soldier during that OD. I thought the OD like arc for Marco, not for Alana. I thought it was wonderful. Yeah. Like the going back in time stuff and seeing all that. Yeah. That was really cool. It was just like, number one, you know, that sees all these planes coming through and he starts shooting at them. And like he kills a civilian, he kills a civilian of the planet that he's on. He kills him another, another Mooney, frankly. And it's, you see that where he's like, Oh my gosh, I, you can understand the arc of like why he is wanting to be a pacifist as he learns he's becoming a father to a child. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you, it's like, he's a pacifist because he believes in it, but he's a pacifist because he's scared of himself. Yeah. Like that. This is like some mentality that he's clinging on to. 
and he barely has a hold of it, right? Mm -hmm. The pacifist himself is the one who, like, chucked the grocery bag at Alana in that, like, impulsive rage. And now he, like, can't forgive himself for that because he, that was, like, the, even though it was, I mean, relatively, like, sort of a mild out, like, he didn't, like, I mean, not that it was okay or whatever, but it wasn't, like. The Camarades Comics podcast team does not advocate for any form of domestic violence. Absolutely. But I think Isabel also is, like, in in your defense, Isabel comments on that moment when Alana said he, like, assaulted me, and he's, and uh, Isabel says, he threw a grocery bag at you. Yeah, it's like, you got lettuce and soup thrown at you, you know, it's, it's a different thing for what the situation could have been dictated by the circumstances it could have been a lot worse we don't advocate for what happened (laughs) right right. but it's it's almost like he's treating what i think the point i was trying to make is he is treating the circumstance as though it is like the level 10 domestic violence yeah he can't even see himself the same because he knows so much about who he is in his core that he's like so um, impulsive and he's had so much rage in his past mm-hmm. that even this moment like he can't he, he almost can't cope with it you know yeah and i think a lot of that too uh, i don't want us to forget that he is a man in mourning in the loss of his father because a lot of you know during the od he goes into not only his past in the war but his past as a child when he it got, wow, I'm like really thinking about this issue. It's probably my favorite issue of the book. But um, he he goes back into you know his beginning with Alana, and he's telling Alana like I was violent towards someone as a child, and his father disciplined him, and like I'm pretty sure he beat him pretty bad for because yeah, because mm-hmm. yeah, uh, so uh, Marco was a child, and his, he finds out his next door neighbor, the little girl, was practicing fire spells on his dog. And he went full blind rage, you know, as 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 a child does. But he like beat the girl, put a black eye on her, and he feels like he's justified in doing that because he's defending his dog. But the girl comes over with her mom, you know, in the same way a, a neighbor would, and your son beat my daughter. And so his father, you have a moment of his father beats that out of him. He's like, that's unacceptable, la la la. And um, I think that you kind of get the product of the guilt behind that from his father because that's a lesson that his father gave him. But it also kind of reveals the humanity of Marco's father where he wasn't just this tender guy. He was a father who would discipline his son maybe in the wrong ways. And maybe there's shame attached to that or guilt. Right. There's a ton of shame, right? Like even I think just those panels where he's getting like beat and then he's like saying like, thank you or whatever like he's like his parents are making him say thank as a you child yeah receive. like that is crazy you know like um and you can tell there's so much shame that's like been carried with him and it hasn't been just that one instance it's like this is like a theme of who marco is that he sees injustice or he sees something that is wrong usually right yeah like dog getting hurt or whatever but then he just takes it up a notch right and his reaction is so severe that then once that is done the aftermath of that is he sees his own destruction and how that's even outweighed the circumstance to begin with and now he's um left with that with that shame and kind of in perplexity about it you know yeah absolutely it was i I just thought it was so well done i thought it was so fascinating and and you just get more context and i'm 
I'm just a very context oriented person anyways. And so understanding the circumstances that dictate the way someone behaves the way they do. Yeah. I'm like totally. all about it. And okay. I wanted to talk actually about our two favorite characters deaths because I found something similar within those. Um, the brand died saving Sophie. She got chomped by a dragon and it just felt like a whirlwind. Whoa. That just happened. It was just like, what? It was so sudden. Yeah, you get one panel for it. You get one panel. It's like it's not like this whole like oh fight thing. It's just like chomp. Even the setup of that whole thing was just kind of like, okay, now we found the male dragon, and then on the same page, it's just like oh, Sophie's trying to find her. You know, trying to grab the semen, and the dragon spots Sophie. Uh, the brand literally in her just like Sophie no, just gets chomped. She doesn't even finish that like anecdote. Sophie no, you know. Yeah. Um, and then with Dango, I actually was, you know, like my, I don't want to say my man Dango because he is pretty messed up, (laughs) but the character I enjoyed Dango, um, I thought his death was so fascinating too, because it was, I think it was also kind of whirlwind because it was originally in Alana's hands and then that's when Marco and her get reunited. Um, and he says, oh my gosh, in a beautiful Marco moment. She says, I want to kill him so bad, Alana does. And Marco says, but that's not who we are. And, you know, they hug. But then Prince Robot the Fourth comes up and just blasts the fool, pretty much. It's like whirlwind again. So with those deaths, what? Do, how did you feel about the whirlwindness of them or how, how quick they were or the delivery narratively that those deaths had? Yeah, um... Well, I, yeah, I guess uh, I, I know we talked like uh, just yeah. for a second about like the whole how we like tragedy before this of uh, Brian K. Vaughn does a really good job. I, I think the common theme is in both of those. It's like like for the dragon one, right? It's like it's almost like you parallel it to a noble quest in like, I don't know, medieval times, you know, like yeah. fairy queen type stuff where you have the noble group trying to like really really that's what it is right let's get the quest to find the elixir to save said person right like and so how you expect the quest to go how it's been written you know like the the archetype of the quest is the noble people go they face some challenges they conquer the quest and relatively no consequences and then here's our person who saved you know and BKV like never gives you that, right? It yeah, like never. never goes according to the way you would expect it to go, the way it's been written in the stories and fairy tales, right? It's okay, here's the quest. Um and even like, oh yeah, it seems like it's gonna be okay. Our people are gonna triumph. There's even like humor involved around the quest at the end with like the whole yeah, dragon with his penis in his mouth. Um <laughs> And then all of a sudden, boom, here's like a character that we've really like gotten to know and kind of admire and just gone. Yeah. And you admire to the extent. And that's how I felt about Dango. I just felt like, number one, Russell, we were talking to, I guess, a more context than that question as a context oriented person. Um, I think Brian Kavon nails tragedy. I think he does it so excellently. And... I think 
by by showcasing these deaths these way this or these deaths these ways he kind of illustrates the fragility of life too within how quickly they were gone yeah you know it's 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 a demonstration of the the brand you know that's the way that the will would have gone if he could you know in 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 the first book mm-hmm. and i think you kind of see the brand being the best parts of the will because i don't think we're going to get that will again i think volume 3 is totally going to change the character even in the ways he was changed in these later days so you have a redemptive arc of the freelancers and even kind of in association to this character that I was very fond of. Um, but also you get with Dango, um, number one, you get some comeuppance. Uh, he, I think he deserved to die. Oh, totally. Based on everything he, he had earned that punishment for himself, no matter if he saved Hazel from the revolutionaries or blah, blah, blah. He, um, I think in, in association to what he had done to the robot kingdom, he had deserved all of it. Right. Yeah. But he also dies at the very moment where he's been given the chance to prove himself. You know, that's like what's so like kind of I think what's so brilliant about it is it's like, hey, you, you know, like the story that we want to hear is you've done so much wrong. You've caught you've been the cause of so much destruction. And now you're at rock bottom here's your hand like here's an extended hand for you to hold and be lifted up and maybe you can start making the right decisions now and it's like brian k vaughn goes here's that hand extended towards you do you want it here i'm going to start to oh no you're gone you're gone and that's your story yeah and it's like that no your legacy is what your legacy was you don't get the chance to prove yourself and and i think yeah i I feel obviously while the story is so decadent and fictitious, that is also just a very real thing that happens within humanity. And I think, I guess, you know, and you said it way better than I could have said it associating, because I feel the same way about the brand, you know, your legacy is what it is, you know? So I like that. I like what you said about that because I feel, yeah, I'm like, I can't, I can't explain it better than you just did because I'm just so impressed by the way it it by giving them their arcs that he did and not giving them an opportunity to redeem themselves you have an authentic person you know what i mean an an authentic life as opposed to a fake one that's just for you know for narrative purposes i just thought i, I don't know i know what i'm trying to say there yeah no and it's it like really makes you i mean i think for in a lot of ways the because the deaths are so like kind of poignant like it makes you reflect on them um and yeah i don't know for some reason in my head right now i'm contrasting those deaths to the life of clara um hazel's grandmother Mm -hmm. and how like i don't know there's something to be said i think about one's life encapsulating um all the good and all the bad and you like i think for clara for me like what why i'm thinking about this is she has kind of just always been a stable figure you know like you have the flashbacks into marco's life where even when he he's being disciplined by his father clara is like crying like 
oh, I hate to see this, you know, like, don't yeah. beat my kid. But also, like, kind of yielding to, okay, he also probably needs to get disciplined for this, yeah. you know. And so, but having those very, like, parental emotions, you know, of what's going on. And throughout the whole book, right? Like, even when she encounters Marco's wife, who really on the surface stands for everything she's ever hated she's like able to get past that fairly quickly and like care for her grandchild and everything you know and so there's something to be said about like her life as a whole has resembled stability and there hasn't just been a moment where it's like like it's not like you're waiting for this moment and once you find that moment then you can have redemption it's almost like her life was just characterized by these little normative actions that have just gone throughout her whole life, you know? And I think there's something really, like, beautiful about that, that her, at least how I see her, her everyday circumstances have painted her into what I see as a really respectable character in this book. Yeah. And there's never been a special, like, Clara moment of, you know, I mean, maybe with, like, her husband and she has to mourn the death, but she's already been the person she's been for so long, you know? Mm. Um, whereas you have these characters now like Dango and like the brand where it's like, you want them to have a redemptive moment mm -hmm. to pull them up. Um, but at the end of the day, it's like they kind of face the logical conclusion of what you would expect their actions to face. Homie start, tries to start a revolution you're dead. Like, you died because of that. Yeah. I'm a freelancer assassin who kills for a living. You died because of that. Live like, by the sword, die by the sword. Yeah, it's like the logical conclusion of that. It's, uh, And there's something in that that, like, makes us almost, like, groan, or makes me groan internally because, especially for the brand, like, I want her to have the redemption. Mm -hmm. I want her to experience that. Oh, my. And she, I don't know. I think the brand is better... And I like, I think, I think after this arc and especially like, I, I, I'm not, I first volume, the will is probably my favorite character, but going into the way, I don't want to say the way his character is treated, but kind of his arc moving forward. I'm not a fan, mm -hmm. you know, and maybe I would have rather had him died at the hands of Sophie, uh, while she's all drugged up while that would have been anticlimactic. Um, I don't want to spoil the, the, the later volumes, but even 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 uh the way the way that he woke up and the and seeing her die in, in a way that I think she would have been fine going as because by, by throughout their time together she starts to care about Sophie too you mm -hmm. know um but she says once I'm finding it but she says oh wait Hazel narrates the the um moment that Sophie and Gwendolyn wake up the will and she says nobody knew what kind of nightmare had been awakened that evening but in time my parents would find out because the will who we are experiencing now is not the one that we had left and so I'm, I'm just kind of like <laughs> I have to be reminded I, I think he is the villain of this story and while he may have tender uh reconciliations of you know tenderness and loving i think he is a broken man kind of suffering from his own brokenness yeah he definitely yeah he definitely seems like he's 
on a downward trajectory, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, I would agree with that, that as of, at least as of, as we're ending book two here, it's like, he's the one most set up for destruction. Mm. Um, and the one who's been, who's like, you have everyone facing their difficulties, right? Like whatever has happened. Um, and, and he's the one right now who has the, like the death of a sister. And now that's motivating him towards really just destruction and vengeance, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, now I got three questions left for you and I think they're all really kind of about our main characters, our main protagonists. So when we look at Prince robot, the fourth now compared to the first book, he is an entirely different character. What did you think about his arc going on in this story? And we've touched on it briefly, but I mean, let's, let's dig into it. Yeah. Yeah. I really, I loved his arc. I think there's, um, like he's one of my favorite characters probably, um, because of what's been going on in this book. I think there's like a lot of good, good stuff going on. Like, um, well, first off, I love how he is a, or in book one, he was kind of like the soldier who you felt like had to make a name for himself in his kingdom. And also like had some weird, I need to defend the legacy of fallen comrades, a lot of stuff like that going on. Right. So you see him as kind of like a soldier first yeah. and like a royal first. Right. And then, like, you have so many of those identities just flipped on their head in this second book because now here's the soldier teaming up with his enemy, right? Teaming up with... Literally, yeah. Yeah, the, a guy who represents whose kingdom has fought against this whole time, right? Yeah. And so you have that, like, just getting totally, like, flipped. Mm -hmm. And so he's... It's kind of like breaking down those those walls of who he was. He's no longer this this idealistic soldier that needs to have his like soldier box maintained now you have things that are poking holes in that box um and he's becoming a more nuanced character uh and then on top of that you have the identity as a royal like that's just totally stripped from him here and so now he has nothing to prove to his father um that he's been continuously disappointing or his kingdom because it's like you're dude you're no longer part of that kingdom yeah uh and so i really like that i think he has it's a really nice area for him to kind of go anywhere. You know, there's a lot of openness because now the core parts of his identity, even as like a, like a husband that's gone, right? The identity yeah. to his wife and being part of that Royal lineage is gone. The only identity he has left to preserve is that of a father. And that's a new identity that he really only comes into halfway through the book right yeah and i think what he what you see what he's fighting for changes in the first volume he's fighting so that he can go back and be home with his pregnant wife and you know now he's been gone so long his wife this book opens with the birth of his child and eventually his wife passes away so he doesn't need to go fight to see her anymore and now we find him and he is with his child he's with his son and so what is his motivation now? You know what I mean? Like you're, you're seeing he's an entirely different character. So I, 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 I found him very interesting. I don't think he's, you know, really serving to benefit the kingdom that he so air quote notably fought for anymore, or nobly fought for anymore. Right. Yeah. It kind of sounds like he's trying to seek his own 
happy ending. His disgraced but happy ending, you know, like even when they're about to go on their quest to get Hazel, it's like he's really reluctant. He just kind of wants to stay at whatever that planet was that they're kind of hiding out on with his kid and maybe just be content there. Yeah. You know, like and which is kind of like kind of cool. Like he's he's wanting our story to, for him to end right there. Yeah. And it's like, well, of course, it's not going to end right here for you, buddy. But this is that is probably like his his nice moment. Right. Is he now has his son. His son is growing and they are on this planet. He can be a father. You know, like end story here. They lived happily ever after. Right. Mm -hmm. Um and and yet we know that that's not how it's going to end, probably. It reminds me of this quote. I recently watched the um, Freestyle Love Supreme documentary on Hulu, which I am actively now recommending to Russell. I was going to bring it up later. Actually, really quick. One of the biggest reasons I got Russell to read this comic book series is because on the back, Lin-Manuel Miranda had stated this was the current best thing that he was reading right now. That's and true. That's that was a very a, big selling point. And Russell loves Hamilton, so I was like, by the way. But in the Freestyle Love Supreme, going to your point about the ending, and we know this isn't Prince Robot the Fourth's ending, um, Lin-Manuel Miranda had said an Orson Welles quote in the documentary, and he says, the happy ending is really, if you want a happy ending, it just depends where you end your story, because all of our stories kind of keep going. Life doesn't happen... Um, linearly it's a lot of things happening at once and so hmm. and i think i think actually that brian k vaughn nails that in this um narrative you know what i mean because there's so many stories happening at once and while some people are having victories others aren't so right yeah yeah that's true that that's a that's a good quote i mean because i think that makes sense right yeah. you have if we could end the story right here we would call it a happy ending, but we know that there's more life to be lived for the, to be lived for those two characters, right? Yeah, that's that's true. Um, yeah, and and um, I think we were in our little break. We were talking too about how um, specifically with Robot the Fourth that he seems he was reminding me as I was reading of like kind of this you know, like this sort of thematic character that has ex existed throughout time who is royal or who represents something and then is disgraced and yeah. has to, like, do something to prove his worth again. And I was asking you, like, oh, what it, what are some characters? And you brought up Hamlet, which I thought was, like, pretty nice. I'm uh, like, this is a very... Prince Robot the Fourth is V Simba. So I didn't bring up Hamlet. I brought up Lion King. <laughs> oh, yeah, you did. <laughs> but you, you knew the Lion King was based on Hamlet or like, you know... I'm, I'm like, been. I'm deep. <laughs> well, but it's so true, right? Yeah. I mean, even if you want to go with Lion King or whatever. Um, and you know what? Another one that just came to my mind is Prince Caspian. Um, oh, I haven't read that. Oh, yeah. Prince Russell, Caspian, it's the same thing. Russell and I are C.S. Lewis junkies, for anyone wondering. So, man, maybe we'll have to do a Cameron Reads C.S. or something, <laughs> and we can go over that. But Yeah, that's the one. <laughs> yeah, that would be that would be really nice. I'm like, shoot. Read the Space Trilogy. I am writing that down. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, because King, uh, his, like, Uncle Mirez, he, he, 
Caspian's like disgraced from his kingdom because mm-hmm. his uncle wants to take power. It's like literally the same kind of Hamlet thing. And then he comes back with an army and then they fight it out or whatever. In that sense, he's victorious rather than like, you know, in Hamlet or whatever, where he just dies at the end. Um, spoiler alert. If you didn't know, then you're hundreds of Wait, years. Wait, does Hamlet die at the end? It's tragedy. They always, they always die at the end of the tragedy. I, I didn't know. It's a spoiler for me because I'm like Lion King. <laughs> if the Lion King, Sim- Simba becomes the freaking Mufasa of the land. So, Yeah, that's the whole – yeah, that doesn't happen at all. I think in, I, I kind of get Hamlet and Macbeth sort of confused. I'm pretty sure he like has the duel and then like he wins the duel with like the king who is his uncle – but then he gets stabbed with some poison, so yeah, it's yeah. like, oh, you're going to die. Classic Sorry. stabbed with poison scenario. Classic. Classic poison. And another one that we were talking about with um, another example that you, you mentioned that right now is just resonating with me so hard is Prince Zuko from Avatar The Last Airbender. Yeah. He, you know, the, the, the banished son who wants to be able to return home but can't um, – ultimately finding a way to hopefully redeem himself Mm -hmm. and it's always the it's some sort of merit that they you know it's like it is so i love that part of those stories you know it's like especially the air avatar and then the saga i think comparison there is it's like here's the worth that you have to show for yourself Mm -hmm. can you bring me the avatar can you um bring me literally the avatar right like yeah. it's can you bring me hazel it's like can you bring me the person here um and if you can do that now you are worthy there's something amazing to be said there of like in those types of stories the flaw and why this character always has to find some new avenue of redemption is that the flaw is always if you do this then you are worthy exactly and for our listeners know that it is a flaw because your worthiness isn't something that you do. It is, it's not, I don't think worthiness is something that is earned. It is something that is inherent, Like you are already worthy. So. Right. And, and even, yeah. And, and that kind of like makes me excited as yeah. we're like kind of keep reading in the saga thing, because like, even with like Prince Zuko, right. It's kind of at the moment where the character feels the least amount of worthiness is when a new group comes and proclaims, their worthiness yeah and then they can be redeemed in that right it's very um which which goes totally along with that like that your identity of worth is outside of i don't know any feat or any merit or any achievement right? yeah it's, that it, it can be proclaimed that, it is inherent and it can yeah. be proclaimed you know what i mean it's like we need to proclaim it to ourselves you know because right. i think we are the ones who don't convince ourselves of worthiness but I, I think we're getting a kind of a tangent because I do think Prince Robot the Fourth also has so much pride that he knows he claims his own worthiness. You know what I mean? To the point of arrogance. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like, like watch his interactions with Marco. You know what I mean? He calls him a Mooney to his face. And I'm like, damn. Right. But he's also, yeah. And that, I think that's why I'm excited to read those. Cause he's also like, he's disgraced. Like yeah. as far as the things that have once meant worth to him, you yeah. know, like the people who are the fuel of that arrogance, I'm the son of the king. I am the wife or the husband of my princess wife. You know, all of those things, those things that once used to give him that pride and arrogance, those have all been stripped. Like he doesn't have that to lean back on anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, 
that like makes me excited to see how that will continue to affect and plague him as the story progresses, you know? Um, it's interesting. Uh, I've, re- I've read volume three. Russell has not. Yeah. And so <laughs> it's all I can say is it's interesting. Right. Um, uh, and then I guess I, I said three questions. I have three questions, but the next one is about two characters. And so, Marco and Alana are also completely different as we kind of enter into this section, uh, this, this part of their story together. And so I think, you know, in the first book we were talking about how they really have no good reason to be together and they're just trying to make it work. And, you know, I'm, I'm glad that they do have the blowout that they do because Marco and Alana shouldn't be together, like frankly. And, you kind of see how they earn their love for one another and it's authentic. We get more context into that with Marco and, you know, in, in his OD dream state, but also you kind of get to see it in how they reunite and how they work together to try and find Hazel. Right. Yeah. And so, um, what do you, what do you think about their relationship moving forward? As, as you know, I think they do a great job of also partner parenting like when we first find them where she is the breadwinner and he is, I don't want to say the homemaker, but like he is the stay at home dad taking care of their daughter, trying to provide a normal childhood. And so what what'd you, what'd you think about them in this book? Yeah. I I love that. I loved how messed up they both were. Right. Like I I love that you have like Marco almost making out with the alien. I don't know what her her dance teacher, the dance teacher who's also still in love with him. Yeah, totally. And I love that, right? I love that Marco's like, oh, you're super sketchy, Marco. Come on, dude. Yeah. And then I love that with Alana, you're like, oh, you're just doing drugs now. That's tight. Yeah. Right. You know? And so, because um, I think that's something that you have really been instilled with since the first book. It's like, these people aren't perfect. Mm-hmm. These people actually are like pretty flawed and pretty messed up. And so they have, and I love that they are still able to do a lot of great things together, right? Mm-hmm. Like as their mistakes pile up and as their regrets continue, you know, mm-hmm. like you have, you can hold both of those, uh, intention, right? Like you have mistakes on one side and then you have, Oh, and also you guys like tried for years and years and years against all odds to find your child in a maximum security prison that is off the grid. And you did it mm-hmm. like, wow. You know, like there's something, really special about that like and that your relationship was able to take you to the ends of the earth to save your child okay um and it's i so i love that i love being able to hold hold those both it's like you guys can go against all odds and really have something in your relationship that bonds you to each other and that helps you persevere to save your kid and you guys are also kind of still messed up yeah, and I think they are both actually. You, you you kind of see their selfishness, that both of their selfishness, selfishness come to fruition in this section because, you know, Alana starts to use drugs, um, but then Marco also tries starts to indulge in a forbidden love kind of romance, you mm-hmm. know. And while I I appreciate that he doesn't act on it, um, he's real close. He Only was re- punk punk or whatever. <laughs> yeah, no, he was, and I'm like. I love that, you know, uh, it, it, it shows both of their selfishness, you know? And so 
I just I, I, I found that this conflict was a very good one and I like how you know they dealt with it and they 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 dealt with the ramifications of what they did. You know, the ramifications of that conflict lasted, you know, frankly, until Marco and Alana got reunited. And then by the time we were, they were reunited, the story kept going and they were in love. You know what I mean? And you got to see them just kind of be a normal couple without the burden of Hazel. Yes, she is their motivation, but you saw them work together as a team. Mm -hmm. And I like that because it made their love more authentic. Like the whole thing of, cause obviously we still receive those two characters as imperfect, but the whole thing about them trying to rob people or what, whatever, they get information. You see, um, my parents had vowed to never, um, do the act that created me until they had found me. And then it shows, you know, the next scene is them, getting getting busy and, <laughs> and she's like yeah my parents were never good at vows <laughs> so it's like I, I love that because it's a very endearing moment for both these characters and so i i just think that their love is so much more authentic and grounded i guess because they have shared experience now right yeah and there's something like somewhat like cyclical about it you know mm -hmm. it's like they have hardships and then the hardships lead to triumph and like new wisdom and maturity and like and i think like the first you know you see triumph or like good in that they have their first child hazel yeah and now here's the cycle again and then same logical conclusion now we have second child coming along and, yeah. and i kind of love that how it's sort of it sort of mirrors that first book in a lot of ways um but now they're they're slightly different people they have more wisdom they have really, i i think there there are more redeeming qualities to be seen in them um they're they're like kind of strength and fortitude um and so that's that's kind of cool like, i love that you know. example you know mm -hmm. what i mean i think i think you're totally right and it's you know not pieces i would have put together yeah so it it's again as someone who's already read book 3 i'm excited <laughs> i'm excited to get on your level and and read that well, and see what happens. It's been over a year since I read it, so, and you know, the, the uh, both of these books I've read twice. I read, I think I've read the first volume three times. I think I've, this is my second time reading through the second volume, so it's all very familiar. And so, now going into volume three, I'm ready to read it again. And, and there's moments in here that totally surprised me, um, in in the second book that surprised me, and I was like, oh wow, I want to keep right. digging in. Okay. Last question for Russ, and this is really kind of just about uh, the the arc of within their separation of the last revolution. Hmm. And going back to not my man, but a character I appreciate, Dango. Um, I really liked his arc with, you know, that, that's kind of his final arc and kind of where he starts to redeem himself. Mm -hmm. um, he gets... He kidnaps Alana and Clara and Hazel, and he jo he joins aboard the ship and he gets the he pretty much calls the last revolution, who are these radical terrorists pretty much trying to end the war but are doing it in by terrible means. And while I think you know as a character it makes sense for him to want to end the war because of how much he has suffered from it, just like every other character in this book has. But um, I think – I just wanted to – how did you feel about The Last Revolution and their whole 
part in this story? Were you a fan? Did you think they were necessary? Did you think they were lame? Um, yeah, I, I mean, I think I appreciated their role in the story. I don't think there was any like emotional connection or whatever realization. I think I appreciated the most how in Dango's eyes, they represented the like alternative side to the war that he thought it's like, you know, I don't know. It's like, oh, it's either side A or side B. And he's like, oh, but there's all these there's all these people on side C and they're actually the good ones. Right. And then here they come and it's like, nope, they're just as messed up. And they're they're double dealing with side A and B, you oh, know, really? I well, miss that, you know, they're well, they're like trying to sell Hazel to get their own, more of their own people back. Right. Oh, like yes, that, yes, yes. That trade. And so it's like, like you can't have like his sort of his idealism. What that's what I liked is that Dango's idealism of here's the revolution. These guys are the people who get it. They get what I'm about. It's like no, even they don't. They want to actually. They appreciate what you did, sort of. But now they're like totally ready to kill you the next minute. They're not on your side. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I appreciated that part about it. That like side C of the war, the alternative side that you would think, oh, they're the ones against the war. It's like, no, but even they are somehow sort of still perpetuating this movement here, you know? Yeah, and I found them to be some of the worst villains, and not in a sinister way, but in just like a, you guys don't serve a purpose, you know? I don't know. I don't think I was a fan of, of that arc, and... I love this story, so I I like a lot of the arcs, but I think that the, I don't know, I just wasn't, I don't think I was a fan uh, of The Last Revolution, but I think it was, a, it was a valuable point for Dango to realize, oh, wait, I thought these people were going to be, like, saviors to me, and they weren't, you know? Mm-hmm. So I kind of liked the fact that he didn't get what he wanted from that group. You know I mean? he, he didn't get the resolution he thought he would. Right. Yeah, and, and it kind of represents because he. It seemed like he had so many different plans of how he thought he single-handedly could change this war, right? Like, yeah. oh, I'm gonna go to um, what is what is the thing called the the live performance that alone. open circuit? Yeah, thank you. I'm gonna go to the open circuit. I'm gonna broadcast my message there, and people are gonna like believe me. That doesn't work out, you know. Okay, I'm going to take. Hazel here who represents everything that the war should be against, you know, and, and make something up with them. Though it's sort of not working out. I'm going to make a deal with the, the revolution and all of it. It's like all of his plans of how I'm just going to do this thing. And then my logical resolution is going to play out. Yeah. It's like, it's like the last moment where that fails. And then he's kind of left destitute, you know, of, Oh, my revenge. Like I actually can't get it by myself because the thing I want to, like see happen is the end of this war and single-handedly I, I can't really do that yeah you know I, it just kind of reveals to me that dango is a guy who wants control you know he wanted to be able to control his because he couldn't control his son's death you know that's out of his hands while it was something that was preventable he um he wanted to be able to control that but then next up he hires these people and he thinks because he did this thing, he's able to, you know, master his plan and get the prince. But then he's like, once I get these last revolution, last revolutionaries, everything is going to be solved. All my problems. You know what I mean? I, I have the solution right here. It's this simple. 
and then it doesn't go the way he thought it would. Right. You know, so I think it's a very predictable moment for him. Um, but I, I don't know. I liked it. I liked what it did for him, but I don't think I necessarily liked those characters. And then, you know, one of them showed back up and she kind of Lexus. Mm-hmm. Um, she helps Hazel and Clara escape. Mm-hmm. And so that was cool, but I don't know. I just didn't think it offered much. And I, I wanted to make sure we, we touched on it. Right. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Russ, do you have anything you're looking forward to in book three or like the, I don't know, any, any predictions or hopes that you have for it? Ooh, you know what I want to see happen is I want to line see cat. more line cat. That's sure. what I want to happen. So I'm just going to interrupt you with mine. Here's one. Here's one prediction that I have okay. at some point in this series. It's Sophie and Hazel interacting and like becoming friends. Yes. That's what I want to see. I want them. I, Cause I don't really remember volume three at all. I just know how it ends. Um, Yes. Wouldn't that be so fun? I want no. I think they're birds of a feather, and I think they're two great characters. Sophie's a little older than Hazel, though. Yeah, Sophie yeah. can be like the older sister. It'd be great. Yeah, I'd, I'd give Sophie like I don't know. Sophie I Sophie has like five years on Hazel, right? Yeah, five years. I was gonna say four years, but I was like, ah, oh, that feels not enough. But yeah, no. I I think I I want to see them interact too. Um, my prediction or hope is that honestly, I know a bunch of stuff. So I can't, I can't, I can't make a prediction or hope. So cool. Let's hope that Sophie and Hazel interact. Um, okay. Well, Russell, thank you. We will see you again next week. Um, any last words for our listeners? No, it's a pleasure talking to you. It was a pleasure talking to you. Okay. I will work on my conclusions. (laughs) We will see you guys later.